HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. This is the uh, maiden voyage of my new office as we made the uh, mistake of deciding to move again this past weekend. That's why this is coming at you a day late, so I do apologize for that. It's all on me, nothing to do with Steve. And Steve, as we begin to advance in age, uh, I'm a little bit ahead of you. I don't have my uh, AARP card yet, but I, I must tell you, Moving the older you get sucks. Those of you listening to this that have done it know it. I mean, when's the last time you moved, Steve? Like, 05 or 06? We moved into this house uh, June of 2006, so almost 11 years ago now. Now, I've, I've had to move office space a few times, but that's nothing like moving a house. No, it's not. It's not. I think in my life of knowing you, which dates back to, like, 2000, you lived in an apartment and then you lived in your house that I was scared that the uh, Jewish mafia was going to come blow out the windows when I was house-sitting for you one week because of your Sean Green comments. And then this one. So you've only had three moves as long as I've known you. That is on purpose, man. I moved a ton when I was a kid. I went to like 11 different elementary schools. Oh, man. We moved We moved so often. I And my wife, is, as you know, was an Army brat. And she was actually born over in formerly known as West Germany. And had to move. And sometimes, you know, when you're an army brat, they get your, they get your, we gotta, we gotta go. We're moving tomorrow, you know. So, we resolved early on in our marriage to try to avoid doing that to our kids. But I have to tell you, man, Texas is my relocation mistress. It is calling to me. No state income tax. A legislature that actually, you know, passes pro freedom bills. The right three seasons. Texas is calling to me as I get older, John. It's calling me. Well, I can tell you that the winners in Tulsa, which is about an hour south of the uh, Kansas-Oklahoma border, I would say it's mostly three seasons. And you're right. It's the right three. I mean, the winners down here, I've been through four of them. They've, I, I haven't had to put on my you know below 30-degree jacket pretty much ever. So uh, it's it's not too shabby. And But I, I got... So, so we we got a place. Um, you know, my wife and I were thinking, okay, let's 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 get out of the neighborhood life. We've always done the suburbs and the towns, and you know, I, I grew up in a, in a small town when I was you know real young up until about second grade. I lived and you were born in a small town, and you and, and you can breathe in a small town. No right? doubt, and I probably yeah. will die in a small town now because uh, probably will bury me. Yeah, yes, the, the, because the snakes are going to kill my wife, and that's probably going to wind up killing me. Um, so she's like, let's let's get out in the country. Let's get some acres. Let's get some trees. And Mike sounds great. So we found a place. Probably has a hundred trees on it. Few acres. Creek running through the middle. I grew up playing the creek. Love it. Um, so yeah, we did that. And moving in this weekend. Well, last week we come out. We we you know we we close on the house that we were buying last week. We just close on the house that we sold this morning. Last well, so last week I'm cleaning up some stuff by the HVAC and the pool heater and. A little snake comes out to say hello. And pretty much any snake that's within six feet of the house is going to be a dead snake. So he died. <laughs> In my, my reaction, that would be, oh, hell no. That would be my reaction. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So then Mary's in an hour later taking a shower in the master bathroom, lower level. And it's got, you know, one of those windows. It's kind of, you can't see in. And she screams, dad, dad, there's a snake climbing up the side of the window. And I said, no go outside bro's trying to make an escape six foot long rat snake going across my hvac unit and i said you know what 
you have a little more junk in the trunk than the last guy I killed. I'm going to let you live. So wife's a little unnerved by that. Didn't realize she had such an aversion to snakes. So fast forward to this weekend. We've also had record amounts of rain down here in Tulsa from April through now. And that pretty much drives the snakes out of their normal habitat because it drives the rodents out of theirs as well. So we're moving in Friday. First time, I've moved 17, 18 times. First time ever moved in the rain. And that sucked. That sucked balls. It was horrible. And so here we are. Fast forward to yesterday. Hadn't seen any more snakes, but it just was a sucky weekend. I'm 46. I can't do this anymore. And I'm rolling into the laundry room that's off the back of the house. And lo and behold, I look down, and there's a five-foot black snake in the house on the hardwood. I mean, that's unsettling. Oh. Dude, having a snake in your home, I oh. can't, can't really come up with too many other things in my life that have unsettled me as much as that. And I don't really care so much about snakes. So at this point in time, I didn't know it was a black snake. Had a friend with me was helping me move some things. He's like, bro, that's that's a cottonmouth. So I, I don't, I'm not into snake identification until until it's post mortem time. Um, so I'm f- basically fighting for my life at that point in time. And it's starting to make way to the living room where my wife is. And I'm like, if that snake makes its way in there, um, we're gonna have to sell this house. I will go bankrupt. I was so, just wondering, what are the lemon laws down there in Oklahoma? Are you researching that as we speak? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. And so I reached down, grabbed the snake by the tail because he was heading around the door so his head wasn't there. I pull him back in. He starts to rear up to come at me with his uh, with his very white mouth. So at that point in time, I'm thinking, cotton mouth, I'm done for. Drop him. My friend ran out the back door where I luckily had my golf clubs. I said, mm-hmm. I said, I said, toss me one of my short irons, please. And he threw the nine iron 15 feet through the window. I caught it out of thin air and like plucking a javelin from a track and field event when you're really not wanting to be a javelin catcher. I put it down there. The snake does me a solid, winds himself around it. I hightail it out and I begin to fling the snake and in my backswing, the snake decides to let go lands on my shoulder oh my gosh everything i'm telling you is the truth indiana jones be pissing his pants right now lands on my shoulder i scream at least three octaves higher than jim zabel did when rob houtland kicked the field goal to beat michigan in 85 (laughs) (laughs) and i i'm getting chills right now thinking of it so he decides that he's going to go into my grill. Well, hell no. But we, can't, we can't abide that. So at this point in time, my friends brought me a spade. The snake's starting to get wrapped in there. I still have my nine iron. He opened his mouth, and I take that as my cue to ram that nine iron back through his throat. Pinned him up against the wall with my left hand and my nine iron. My right hand has the spade against the bricks, and I cut the guy in half. So at that juncture, then I identify the snake. It was not a cottonmouth. It was a black snake. And my wife is upstairs, unbeknownst to me, laying in a bed, crying, just mortified, terrified. Mm. So we're making our way through that. 
this morning I wake up. She's like, you need to come to the pantry and look at this. So I go to the pantry. First level of the pantry that's two feet off the floor. There is some scat on the pantry wood. It isn't, it's not mouse scat. And unless the rat had diarrhea, I don't think it's rat scat. I think that was snake scat. And I kept my inclination from my wife until like 10 a.m. when she came in and says, you tell me what you think it is and don't lie to me. I said, I think it might be a snake. And she proceeded to go to the, to go to the couch, covered her head in a blanket. All of this 100% true. Curled in a ball. Anxiety racked and ridden. And, Don't blame uh, her at all. And, and bro, it's it's not been a good day. It's not been a good day. I went to the office midday. Best four hours I've had in five days. And then I came back home. And uh, we, we've backed off the DEFCON level one notch. But we're still expecting inbound nukes at any point in time. Termite or not termite, but pest control people will be out here in two days. Not to mention I had 11 trees cut down around the, the property very close to the house last week. Those things are still laying on the ground. So that's doing nobody who's trying to keep rodents and snakes out of their house any favors. I got on the phone of that guy. I got on the phone of that guy on the way home from work today, and I said, listen, man, those trees have to go tomorrow, or I'm going to call every contractor in town and tell them, that you're stiffing me, which he's not, but I just figured I needed to do whatever I could. So those trees better be gone tomorrow, or my wife may be gone tomorrow. And with that, that's what's been rolling here. That's why this podcast is a day late. That's tough, man. It's tough. I, I You know, I lived in Florida as a kid. I mean, the snake thing doesn't bother me as much when you start talking rodents though bro then i start screaming like i never hit puberty okay i mean if there's if there's anybody in the rodent phylum anywhere near that's a hell no i cannot i don't know why either i just i can't you know i grew up in florida when i was a kid it was one of the places we moved to so snakes cockroaches you know every if you ever wanted to have a career selling tupperware Louisiana and Florida is where you want to live. Yeah. Because they're, they're so far below sea level that even the rich people have bugs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, when you buy cereal and stuff, you come home. You don't put the box in the pantry. You pour it out into a thing of Tupperware, see, airtight, seal it, then put it away. That's just what you have to do. So I kind of just got accustomed to that. But anything, anything rodent-related, and, of course, the issue really is if you have a rodent problem, particularly out there in the country where you're living – well, what's a natural predator of rodents? Snakes. Indeed. Yeah. And so that's they're going to be attracted. I mean, it, it ain't you. I mean, it, it's it's all the other stuff that you're pointing out, the brush that's down and everything else. And snakes are are like, dude, it's a buffet line. That's that. I mean, they're they're coming to they're coming to chow down, bro. You know, so you got to get you get. To, that's a supply and demand issue. No question about that. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna do our best to uh, lower the supply this week. Hopefully, I, I, I'm praying for a drought to onset very soon. Um, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's going to be more rain. But, um, yeah. So with that, you've been... Are you at the point now where you got you got to pee in the middle of the night? You're, like, afraid to get up? 
what am I going to run into? Um, you know what? Shoot, I should not have even said that out loud. Now I think about it, because I probably just planted that seed. I am so sorry. Well, that's okay. I should not have done that. T- two things. No, Steve, I hadn't really thought about that till now. Thanks, man. Yeah. Two things. A, I it's had. Solid. I appreciate that. I, I hadn't thought about that. A, and B. Even though I'm 46, I haven't had to hit the flow max yet, so I can pretty much roll <laughs> the whole night without getting up. So I'm good. I, I, I dude, I, I never have to wake up to go to the bathroom. Do you? Depends. I'd say about you wear half the, the pants? Half, half, half the day. Half the days of the week, I probably have to, yeah. So that's why you wear Depends. That, that I don't wear Depends. You said Depends. Not yet. You but, said uh, Depends. All right. What did I say Depends? What are you talking about? It's the first word out of no your mouth when depends? I said, do you have to get up to pee? You said, eh, Depends. Oh. <laughs> depends on the day. Oh. <laughs> I'm wearing Depends. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Hell, he took care of the problem right there. He just rolls the pens. <laughs> Them snakes got you rattled, man. And I, I can't blame you. I don't know. I can't. There's no way we could handle that here, man. Our folks would be losing it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, wow. I even, I even offered. Okay, I shouldn't say I offered. I act like like the money's all mine. I said, hey, if you want to go to the hotel for the next three nights until we go down to Dallas on Friday and go see uh, the Joshua Tree the concert and then back here, that's fine. I'll, I'll handle the kids in the morning. Just go. Because the problem is she also can't get settled. And she is very, yeah. very clean. And we are also doing a total refurb of the kitchen while we're moving in that got delayed that should have been done by now. So we can't like, and we redid the you know the garage floor. I've always wanted that you know flecked garage floor thing. So all these things are great, but that means we can't unpack and unbox things yet. And that combination with snakes on the laundry floor, it's like just go. I even said if you want to fly down to Florida for three days, I don't care. Go see your brother because I, I get it, man. So anyhow, we're here. Samuel Jackson. Yeah. I ain't dealing with no effing snakes and no effing kitchen on no effing plane. Did you go Samuel L. Jackson, Snakes on a Plane? <laughs> I never saw that movie. Should I watch it? It's I, I saw it once years ago, when, actually in the theater when it first came out. It's absolutely everything you think it is, which means it was pretty funny. Yeah. Exactly. It's so bad, it's good. Yeah, so bad, it's funny. Yes. As the Beastie Boys once saying, not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. That's my favorite Spike Lee, Barkley, Samuel Jackson, yes. Final Four. And I love all those commercials, but my favorite one is when they're eating the steaks on a plane and it gets him to see steak gets him to say steaks on a plane. I love that one. <laughs> love it. I do too. I do too. Let's talk a little college football. Um, you have begun your vast preparation for the twenty seventh annual Steve Dace college football preview somewhere around there. Actually, it is. I didn't even realize this till you brought it up. It's my twenty. It's going to be my twenty ninth year of doing this. That's making me feel old. Nineteen, ni- the nineteen eighty eight season was the first time I did this. I was uh, people that don't know. I was challenged by a buddy of mine. Uh, we were at a basketball camp uh, in high school, and I was complaining that I thought Athlon's Lindy's one of those. 
didn't know what they were talking about. He's like, you think you can do better? So I decided to do my own. I wrote it out in ink pen in a note, spiral notebook. And I had West Virginia playing Miami in the Fiesta Bowl for the national championship. That was my pick. He's like, West Virginia, that's never going to happen. Lo and behold, West Virginia made it to the national championship game in the Fiesta Bowl that year. But they played Notre Dame instead of Miami. And no, I had West Virginia versus Florida State. That's what it was. And uh, after after nailing it on West Virginia, I thought, hey, I'm going to do this every year. And I'm not sure I've even been that close to being right ever again, but I keep doing it nonetheless. All right. And we are glad that you do put the time in this year, Steve, you uh you're doing. You're adding to your preview. I mean, every every good artist adds when they come out with their sequel, and you're on your 29th <laughs> sequel now. So you are adding to the Dace College Football Preview with the Roster Foundation segment. Explain what this is. Well, we've seen a trend recently in college football where there is a group of schools that are recruiting at a level dramatically superior to the rest of college football. And, and what we're seeing is that they are defying what the previous paradigm was for assessing how good a team was going to be. And, you know, for a long time, we could research returning starters. And then you could delve a little bit deeper. Did this team have a guy or two that was out last year and is coming back or transfer in or a big time red shirt that's an X factor? And then, you know... Throughout the course of you and I's era, there has been, you know, there's always one or two programs that recruit at such a level that they have the old line, they don't rebuild, they reload, right? You right. know, Nebraska under Devaney and Osborne, Oklahoma under Switzer, um, you know, USC under Pete Carroll, the Miami teams under Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson, um, you know, at Florida State under Bobby Bowden, we finished in the top four 14 years in a row, Notre Dame under Lou Holtz where you didn't even look at returning starters for those teams. You just knew they were at such a dominant level, they were going to be a factor every year because of the way they're recruiting. Alabama is that program right now. But what we are finding is several schools are recruiting at a level that they don't necessarily need two or three years to develop players like most of the sport does. And if you just look at our last playoff, for example, and we talked about this back in January, John, all four of the teams that made the playoff played at least nine true freshmen in the playoff games they were in. At least nine. Wow. All, all four started a true freshman on the offensive line. Okay? So, I mean, Alabama had a true freshman quarterback who was the SEC player of the year. So I, what that has told me is we're going to have to look a little bit deeper than returning starters. And when I look at Clemson, two years in a row, they have had, you know, multiple losses, early early entry losses in the NFL draft, and it didn't inf- it didn't impact them whatsoever. So what I decided to do this year, and there's no real foolproof plan, just fools who prove it to you. Um, so there's no perfect metric by which to uh, go about this because you know, we don't get to see every team in practice ourselves. We don't get to evaluate every team's film ourselves. So the best I could come up with is to take a look at each team's what I call roster foundation. And I go back for four years, and I do this based on recruiting, 
and transfers that they have had come in. Now, for recruiting, the recruiting rankings are actually more accurate than they've ever been because there's more attention paid to this than there ever has been before. I mean, you go look at the first round of the NFL draft a month ago, and that reads like, you know, a four- and five-star high school American team. But, but there are programs, like in Iowa, for example, or a Kansas State or Bill Snyder, where recruiting rankings don't matter as much because the, the level of development that goes on. So here's what I did. I went back over the last four recruiting classes. Now, the reason I didn't do five is because fifth-year players are not as much of a factor now as they were 10 or 15 years ago. A lot of guys are transferring in their fifth years. A lot of guys go pro. Schools are playing more true freshmen than ever before. So I didn't go back over five years because there's just not as much of, a, of an impact of fifth year. Frankly, freshmen have more of an impact than fifth year seniors do nowadays. So I just did four years, and I did it by the recruiting rankings at two four, the, com, the composite at 24-7 sports where they do the composite of all the other sites. And what I did is I looked at the last four recruiting classes and players transferred in, and the best that I could come up with, I included attrition. That's hard to do for every single school. So these numbers will go through for all the conferences. Our audience is better off looking at them as, a, as educated and approximations, not exact calculations, if you know what I'm saying. All right? So they're more like ranges. Okay? But what I did is I gave schools five points for a five-star, four points for a four-star, and three points for a three-star. And I didn't award points for anyone ranked below that simply because that requires a level of development that if you are consistently able to develop those kinds of players, then this metric wouldn't apply to you you anyway. You're an outlier, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right? So I did this for all of the Power Five conferences, and I put Notre Dame for the effects of this study in the ACC. And this will be one of the original frameworks that I will now use. And, and how I'll use this as I start putting my preview together here in the, in the month of June is when I start putting together my sets of power ratings, I'm now going to factor these roster foundations into the power ratings. The power ratings typically have been the players you have coming back where I rank them in talent compared to the strength of your schedule in a two-win range, and then I give you a bonus range if you have an experienced quarterback returning. I, I, this will this will now factor into how I do those power ratings because we're seeing teams with few starters returning have more of an impact on a national level than we've ever seen before. And I felt like I just needed another metric to accurately gauge what's going on out there. Okay. I mean, I think it's as good as anything, and it'll be fun to watch this bear out. Let's start with the um, ACC, and you mentioned Clemson earlier, a program that has suffered uh, considerable losses. I, I know that the last few years we talked about LSU being a program that was just decimated by losses, and it wound up you know, leading to costing less miles his job. So in the ACC, we've got Clemson. Um, with a number of 288, that happens to be one, two, three, four, fifth in the pecking order of total points. The higher the point value, Steve, I'm guessing, the more confidence you have in the strength of the roster. Exactly. ACC, Florida State, way ahead of everybody else, 334 points. Notre Dame at 304, Virginia Tech at 303, Miami at 291, and then Clemson at 288. And then a lot of the rest of these teams are pretty jumbled. Um, NC State's at 262. 
And if you look between them and Louisville, North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh, so those are six more teams, and Georgia Tech's at 250. So those teams are roughly the same. And so when I went through the ACC, some of the things that stood out to me, and then I'll get your take on this. If you look at Clemson's total, it was lower than what I expected because of the way they recruit. But the problem for Clemson is their 2014 class. That's been all the almost all the big names in that class were wiped out. Artavis Scott, um, uh, you know Wayne, uh, 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 Gar- uh, uh, the running back whose name escapes me now, uh, Mike Williams, Deshaun Watson, all those guys that declared early and graduated in three years were the star player. Wayne Gallman, that's the running back. Those were the big time recruits in that class, and so by virtue of of losing most of its 2014 class. That is why Clemson's number is a little bit lower than you would expect. You look at NC State, that's a team to keep an eye on. Now, they nearly won at Clemson last year, probably should have. Missed, that, missed a couple field goals. They then destroyed in-state rival North Carolina on the road to end the season. And so these numbers tell us with them ranking sixth in the league and roster foundation, they tell you that that is an emerging roster in the ACC. I think Virginia Tech and Miami – you can see why their fans were so despondent when their quarterbacks declared early. Uh, Brad Kaya ended up being a sixth-round pick of my Lions. Um, Jared Evans, the Virginia Tech quarterback, as Tom Lugigamil of ESPN likes to joke, he's the first kid ever to declare early for the Canadian Football League draft. Well, if you look at both of their point totals, both over 300, those are rosters that right now are made to win if they had an experienced quarterback those are teams that would be factors in the ACC championship race. So you have to feel for both of those fan bases. You also get an idea that Frank Beamer did something that a lot of old aging coaches don't really ha- don't do. He left Justin Fuente, a program in pretty good shape there in, in Blacksburg. You also, when you look at these numbers, you see the importance of Lamar Jackson to Louisville. Mm-hmm. You see that their overall talent's pretty average, okay? But he is just obviously superhuman. In many respects, it's reminiscent of what Michigan was when Denard Robinson was there. You know, I, I, if people that remember the, 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 the decade between Lloyd Carr and what Michigan is now as an era where they were averaging seven wins a year, well, that was with one of the greatest players ever to wear a winged helmet, Denard Robinson, at quarterback. Where in the world would Michigan have been with just a better-than-average quarterback? You know what I'm saying? Let alone Denard Robinson. Right. Well, you, can, you can see that with Louisville now with Lamar Jackson. He's really that program for them. Um, and then you look at Notre Dame, which I included here. And it says here, now, of course, because of the way recruiting rankings work, Notre Dame's Notre Dame is perennial, perennial, Notre Dame's got material, as Beano Cook used to say, but they're perennially overrated in recruiting as well. But at the very least, there's no way they should have gone 4-8 and eight last year, especially with a top NFL draft prospect at quarterback. So those are sort of what the numbers tell us about the ACC, John. What are your thoughts? Well, there's a, the first thought is there's a big gap between Florida State and everybody else. And as I, I look down through your other conferences, um, you know, it's, it's as considerable a gap as there is from number one to number two, although there, there are some other gaps that we'll talk about going forward. I, I would be curious to know if you put all of these in a spreadsheet, and if you came up with an average mean number for all the power schools, and if you haven't, you can send that to me and I can try to figure that out because it would be fun to do an average for the power five schools and then do a conference average because I think that would also tell an interesting story. And 
the, the you you brought up the quarterback aspects with Kaya and Virginia Tech's quarterback turning pro. That would I would factor in asterisks for those things as you look at these numbers. For example, Florida State three thirty four, they're four, thirty points ahead of the next nearest team, and they have a quarterback back. That is like a double check plus if you will. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. you mentioned, Louisville is almost dead average in the middle of your ACC um, number here, and the quarterback can probably make them play more like a 300 than a 261. Yeah. I mean, with my, with what with what Mark Rick has coming back at Miami, if he had Brad Kaya, you're talking about a preseason top 10 team more than likely. You know, so for Virginia Tech, you're talking about a preseason top 15 team. Um, and so... Again, this is roster foundation. This does not take into effect the schedule they play, right. development. But this gives this is an idea of the basic raw material. Every college, every team in college football started their offseason program with back in January. This is what was basically sitting in the room. Okay, let's move down to the uh, Big Twelve Conference, Oklahoma. Is number one at 331, remembering that Florida State was number one in the ACC at 334. So similar construct there, but Oklahoma has their quarterback back, which is a – well, as is Florida State. So another uh, another bold, if you will, for a team that has a very good number and also has their quarterback back. What I find interesting here is right after Oklahoma at 331, you have Texas at 326. And – that would say, okay, yeah, Texas has material, but Texas just hasn't been able to put it together. Got their coach fired in Charlie Strong. They've got a new coach coming in, a, a, a totally different regime from what Strong brought in. Then you have a precipitous drop-off. I'm surprised to see Oklahoma State at 263 again. Oklahoma 331, Texas 326, Oklahoma State 263, West Virginia 245, TCU 243, Baylor 237, Iowa State, 235, Texas Tech, 230, Kansas State, 211, and then Kansas at 187. Um, I'm surprised Oklahoma State scored that low. They also have their uh, quarterback returning in Rudolph. Shocked me as well. I I did their numbers a a couple of times because I thought some of the numbers in this league were surprising to me. I was surprised that Texas was that high. I was surprised Oklahoma State was that average. When I looked at the Big 12, first thing that stood out to me, you know he's my man crush, but Bill Snyder's a hell of a football coach, John. I just, when you look at the numbers of raw material of what he's starting with compared to the rest of the teams in this league, I mean, this this metric confirms what we already knew. The guy, one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. And when you do, when you, do, when you see what he's done with all these two-star recruits that he assigned who don't register on this metric, it's just amazing. Now, we, we, we also suspected the Sooners and the Longhorns were going to be a cut above everybody else in terms of talent, but these numbers confirm that it's even worse than we thought. I mean, they're, it's just not even close, the material they're putting on the, they're putting on the uh, field. And if you look at what Jim Harbaugh did at Michigan, where he had a team that was ready to win, where they had a couple of strong recruiting classes in a row, the culture there to develop them and turn them into winners just wasn't there but it allowed him to hit the ground running. Tom Herman gets that this year at Texas. He has a roster that is ready to win. And something I'll talk a lot about when my preview comes out here in, a, in, a, in about six weeks, if you look at Herman's coaching career, there's a trend. First year at Iowa State as the offensive coordinator, they go from three wins to seven. 
First year at Ohio State as the offensive coordinator, they go from six wins to 11. First year at Louisville as the head coach, they win a New Year's Six Bowl. There's a consistent trend of when Tom Herman takes over, there is an instant upgrade. All right, so last year, Texas is five and seven. I, I got to think when you look at the talent they're bringing in, they're going to be, at, they got a, a reasonable expe- expectation is they'll be plus three or four in wins, which gets them to eight or nine, and now you're a top 25 team. You look at Iowa State, about 65% of Iowa State's points in their talent are in these past two classes, the 2017 and 2016 classes. So that is a program that's on the rise. If they can retain Matt Campbell and throw in another class in 2018, that's right around as good as their 16 and 17 classes were by Iowa State standards. You look at Texas Tech, they've lost almost their entire 2014 class. So their number, there's a lot of attrition there. And, and the Big 12's overall numbers are down because it relies more on junior college players than any other Power 5 conference does. And so when you're doing a four-year roster foundation, and, t- and, this, and this is a league that relies on two, uh, two-year players more than any other league, that, I mean, that means you know, you're going to lose points for stability from you know, you know, years three to four in your roster foundation. So that should be factored into how we look at the Big 12. Moving on to the Pac-12, um, USC at 305. Now remember again, you had 331 for Oklahoma atop the Big 12, 334 for Florida State atop the ACC, and the Pac-12, USC at 305. So seemingly a significant cut below those, but they also return a quarterback whose upside may exceed those at Oklahoma and Florida State, in my opinion, certainly as far as pro potential. UCLA next at 290, then Washington 274, Oregon 272, Washington State 264, Stanford 263, Arizona State 257, Utah 246, Arizona 236, and then on down. What jumps out at me from the Pac-12, Steve, is from numbers 2 through, say, I don't know, 9 or 8, you have a lot of parity in this league. And if you have a quarterback returning, you have the edge. And what have we seen in this league? A lot of parity. I mean, arguably the best team in this league at the end of the year was a school that started 1-3, and three, and that's USC. So you look here, the Bruins, you, you can when you look at this, you can see why Jim Mora is on the hot seat. Because these numbers tell you that they have been underperforming the last two seasons. And, and that they essentially have a talent edge on overall on every team in this conference other than USC. Um, now, I want to go to Stanford's score because I, I don't want people to, underest, to, underest, or to overestimate what that means. Because Stanford, just as we got to, we, we, when we talked about the Big 12, K-State's an outlier because of the, their superior development of two-star and no-star prospects. Stanford is one of the few programs remaining in college football that is heavily reliant on fifth-year seniors. Right. All right? And so since I didn't factor fifth-year seniors into this metric because most teams rely on freshmen more than fifth-year seniors, you should factor that in. So in, so in Stanford's case, I, put it, I, I threw this in my notes. If I throw in the 2013 class and guys that have redshirted from that class – that are in, that are that are expected to play this year. That's almost another thirty roster points for Stanford, which would put them number two in the Pac-12, just ahead of UCLA. So that's something to consider with the Cardinal. 
Um, you look at Washington. They lost 20 points to players leaving early for this year's draft. They were hit pretty hard by the NFL, but they have a very soft schedule that may help them compensate for that. We mentioned USC as the most talented roster in the league, but as we'll get to later on when we go by point totals and we rank the top 25 teams in terms of roster, they're actually not one of the 10 most talented teams in the country. About 40%. Now we got Colorado, which won 10 games last year, had a renaissance season. They are last in, 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 in roster foundation this year in the Pac-12 at 214 points. That's below Cal. And, and when you look at that number, if you want to know what kind of trouble Colorado may be in this year, they didn't just lose a lot of guys, but about 40% of that 214 number, John, is from the incoming 2017 class. So that tells you that this year's recruits, the last couple of recruiting classes leading up to this year were, un, were subpar. So Colorado could take a major fall this fall. Um, and then you look at them, you know, they were the breakthrough team last year. They might end up looking like a one-hit wonder at the end of this season. Yeah, that would also be an interesting thing to look at this with, you know, the, the team name, say, in the left column of the spreadsheet, their total points in the next column, and then breaking down in the next subsequent four or five columns, the point values attributed to each class. That would really give you a good idea of trajectory, uh, immediate yep. challenges, but also you know a team to watch for on the future on the rise. That that. Well, well, when we get through this, what it's going to help us, you know, because we hear some coaches say, "Well, yeah, we lost this guy. We're going to be better at that spot next year." And you're like, "How can you be better?" Well, now this helps us to answer that question. Meaning that, hey, that one guy is a great player and can't be replaced. But the overall depth, competition, development I have at that position. One of the reasons why so, player A was so great is he was all that we had. So we had to use him and highlight him. Next year, we got two or three guys that are ready to step in and play. So we won't have a player as great as player A, but we will be better at that position overall. This sort of metric helps us to understand what what coaches mean when they say that indeed Let, let's go to the big 10 right now before we do the sec um ohio state is at 335 so of of the the four leagues that i've now mentioned ohio state's 335 is the highest total florida state's was 334 and of course ohio state returns a very experienced and talented quarterback then you have Penn State at 302, Michigan at 297, Michigan State at 268. We'll talk about that in a second. Seems a little bit stronger than I would have thought, or maybe we just know that the chemistry recipe is a little bit shaky there. Indiana surprises me at 265, Minnesota 263, Nebraska a little surprising at 262. The 260s seem to be kind of a, a mid-range nationally from what I've seen thus far. Wisconsin at 261, Maryland at 258, Iowa at 253 Northwestern at 244 and then Rutgers Illinois and Purdue at 220 215 and 216 so you have a, a very strong team at the top we all saw what Penn State did uh, over the last five or six games last year um, Michigan's right there near 300 as well but you have a middle from Michigan State at 268 down to, to Northwestern at 244 of a lot of teams with similar raw number here um and the the difference will be interesting to, to play out, but I, I was definitely surprised that Michigan State was up there at two sixty eight and Indiana at two sixty five. Let's start at Michigan State. 
we haven't we don't have the final word yet on who's suspended and who's not okay so donnie corley who is rumored to be one of the players in this rape investigation and was putting on his twitter over the weekend references to a junior college which has people thinking maybe he's out of he's gone off the team and has to go the juco route who knows i mean he's the he's the biggest name recruit they've signed the last two years all right Right now, he's included in this total because we don't have any official word. So a month from now, Michigan State's roster points might look a little bit, might look 10 to 15 points different than what they look right now, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But, that, but that would still put them in that really balanced middle tier that we're going to discuss in a moment. But I wanted to clear, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought up Michigan State because they've got so many guys out, suspended. You know, their roster, when we get word come you know mid, late July, when everybody gets together in Chicago and has to tell the truth for the first time about their team, might look that might look a little bit different than what what their post spring roster looked like. So that may help to explain a little bit of, of Michigan State. Let's start with Ohio State here. They've lost 15 early entries to the NFL draft the last two years. That is basically two thirds of an entire recruiting class. Okay, that they have lost. I mean, most schools could not survive losing, having that level of attrition. But they have recruited at such a high level that they still easily have the most talented roster in this league, despite losing 15 players early to the draft. And you would guess 12 or 13 of those players at least were four or five star guys. So that, I mean, what would their point total be if they'd only lost half of those players early to the NFL draft, John? It'd be ridiculous. Right. It would be. Um, Let's come back to Michigan in a second because I think they're the most, and not just because they're my favorite team. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at this now as a guy who loves the sport. I think they're the most interesting team this season, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, Penn State, they have not recruited the star power Michigan has the last two classes, but you can see that James Franklin has a little bit of advantage in having an extra year to recruit good talent. So they're in a roster that's well over, that's just over 300 points. So they're on. Now you can see why USC and Penn State was a humdinger of a Rose Bowl because their point totals are pretty much the same, right? Penn State 302, USC 305. That's they're essentially even teams. So now you know why they went down to the last second on a neutral field. Um, where else? the middle tier? You let's talk about that now for a second. This is really good depth. Teams six through ten, pretty even score fairly competitive on our metric and then you have right behind them is northwestern at 244 they might be arguably the strongest developmental program in this league right now so if not the if not one of the best developmental programs in the country so the middle tier of this conference is really good and strong which means on any given saturday especially in that in that big 10 west it's a coin flip on a lot of those weekends now, if you give it, if you now given the talent in their immediate areas, and the lack of strict admission standards at Illinois and Rutgers, you look at these numbers and you just think to yourself, you got to try to suck like this. You got to try to fail this bad. I mean, you have to try. There's just no way with the talent that, that is surrounding those two schools that they should be this low, John. But they are. And then let's go to Michigan for a second. Of all the teams we surveyed. No program in college football had more of their roster points from the last two or the two most recent classes, 17 and 16, than Michigan. Get this, 297 is a really good score, all right? But 72%, John, 
72% of Michigan's roster points came from the 2017 and 2016 classes. This is going to be one of the youngest teams in the country. Brady Hoke's 2014 class, pretty much a washout. Jim's 2015 class, remember, he didn't take the coaching job until almost New Year's Day. So he had barely a month to recruit. That class ranked somewhere in the 40s, I think. So why I think Michigan will be the most fascinating team to watch is because we've talked about there's this trend that certain schools, it just doesn't matter how many starters they have coming back, they're recruiting at such a high level, they instantly reload. Well, all of the schools that are at that level right now, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, etc., all their coaches have had three years or more to build that pipeline. Harbaugh is going to now attempt to do it in two. I will be fascinated to see if he can. Now, you get you, when you look at the fact that 72% of their roster points are the last two classes, I think you and I both know that when we're doing this 12 months from now for my 2018 preview, they'll be one of the top five or six most talented rosters in the sport. But how much they're able to bridge the youth gap. Now, they do have a starting quarterback coming back who's okay, nothing great. You know, I'd say somewhere around where Jake Rudock, Jake Rudock's play was for, for Michigan, so better than average. So there's experience there. But if you are just a, if you're if you're interested to see how the paradigm in college football is changing, it'll be fascinating, John, to see if Michigan, with one less year to recruit than a lot of these other programs recruiting at their level, if they can reload as quickly as those other teams do, I will be fascinated to see that. Last conference, the SEC. And the reason why I saved them is, remember as we've gone through this, you had Florida State at 334. You had you know uh, Oklahoma just right around 330, 331. Then you had USC at 30, was it 302 or something like that. Ohio State, 335. Top of the SEC, Alabama, 380. Georgia, 348. Auburn, 341. LSU, 334. LSU at 334 would be the second highest scored team behind Ohio State from what we've discussed to this point, except they trail Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn in their own conference. Tennessee, 331. Texas A&M, 316. Florida, 303. That's half the league over 300 points. And then Mm. Mississippi at 289. Arkansas, 288. Kentucky, Kentucky at 287, and 287 would be 10 points behind Michigan for fourth best in the Big Ten. And, I mean, Vanderbilt's last at 241, which is basically where Northwestern is. We all know that the SEC recruits better than anyone, at least based upon the rankings. This here underscores it, and, you know, as much as I love to dog on the SEC – a lot of uh, pretty talented teams as far as just pure, raw recruiting numbers. Well, the NFL draft numbers every April and May bear this out, don't they? I yeah. mean, remember, I said at the start, don't use these as exact calculations, but fairly accurate approximations, okay? But but don't the NFL draft numbers pretty much bear this out every year? I think mm-hmm. they do. Um Obviously, the SEC surpasses all the other power conferences in procuring top talent. But for the purposes of this exercise, we have to remember their numbers are also overinflated because of the oversigning. Okay? So, meaning that, you know, 
one of the I think it's Scout ranks their recruiting classes by average point total. And I think it's Rivals does theirs by total points or and it might be the other way around, but one of them does it one way and the other one does it the other way. So obviously, if you're signing 27, 28, 29, 30, 31 kids every single year, you're going to get more points. And so I yes, the SEC is is the most talented league. There's no doubt about that. But before freaking out completely and say we've got no shot, keep in mind that one of the caveats here, just as we have to do with the Big 12, don't completely blow their, their low numbers out of proportion because of their over-reliance on JUCOs. The SEC's willingness to oversign with impunity, where Alabama tells a four-star recruit you get to gray shirt next year, okay, which is what happened back in February, those that does inflate their numbers at, at least somewhat. So I think we should keep that in mind. But still... Alabama's number is staggering. I mean, what does it look like when you're the number one recruiting class for the for seven years in a row, whatever it is? Well, it looks like this. LSU, to me, their number proves the importance of the quarterback position mm-hmm. because they have recruited a top four or six roster in America perennially, but yet they just haven't been a factor nationally over that time because of the quarterback position. Um, also, these numbers say Kevin Sumlin has underachieved at Texas A&M. With a spate of four and five lost seasons. In fact, here's a number that'll just blow you away. We, we talked last week about how Texas has not had an offensive lineman picked in the NFL draft since 2009. That's crazy. You want a crazier stat? Since 1999, Texas A&M has had one season of double-digit wins, and that was Johnny Manziel's junior year. All right. One or his sophomore year, and then after his junior year, he went pro. So 2012, when they beat out number one Alabama, that's the only time since 1999 they have had double-digit wins. And yet, when you look at the way they're recruiting, it's pretty clear they are underachieving, um, averaging four or five losses every single year. Now, this number also tells us that the window, contrary to our conventional wisdom, the window of opportunity at Tennessee may not be closed, that there's still enough good players there for Butch Jones to save his job if he can coach a little bit. And then you look at Ole Miss, and you can see, even with all the recent scandals, players leaving early, there's still plenty of good players at Mississippi um, that when when they cheated to recruit, they certainly did it. They certainly cheated to get the right players. Well, if you're going to cheat, cheat well. Don't be have. Jim Kreiner at Iowa State. Don't cheat and go four and seven. Don't don't cheat and suck. Right. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Iowa State, I'm glad you brought that up. You, there, there's a S and P ranking system that's rather popular. Um, it's kind of a, a computer ranking system. Probably takes a lot of these things into account. It has Iowa State favored against Iowa this year um, for the Seahawk uh, game. And just to recount, Iowa's scoring in this metric that you've put together is 253. Iowa State's is 235. But as you mentioned earlier, Iowa State's heavily slanted to their last two recruiting classes, which are pretty good, certainly by their standards. I would pick Iowa State to win that game right now. I think they're vastly superior at quarterback, and they're playing the game at home. I think worse Iowa State teams than this one have beaten Iowa, and I think better 
Iowa teams in this one have lost over in Ames. Yeah. I would pick Iowa. J- right Jacob now. Park can uh, sling the ball. So, the top 25 roster foundations, you have the first three slots occupied by SEC, then Ohio State at four, and then Florida State at five, LSU six, Oklahoma seven, Tennessee eight, Texas nine, Texas A&M ten, then USC, Florida, Notre Dame, Virginia uh, Tech. Penn State, Michigan, and Stanford, and uh, not if you count the Stanford, if you count the red shirt points, right? Two Big Ten teams in the top twenty-five. Three forgot Penn State. Um, three, sorry, math's never been one of my strong suits. So still, that's not great. No, not great. That's not great. I mean, yeah, I mean the top three teams you mentioned are SEC teams: Alabama, Georgia, Auburn. And again, all I did this is just by what their point totals were. Um, you have Miami in there, UCLA in the top twenty after, after you know going what was it five and seven, four and eight last year. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss in there. I think people might be shocked that by point total alone, Clemson is down there at twenty one. Um, Arkansas, which can't win more than seven games in a season under Brett Bielema, would be in the top twenty five. Kentucky which gave their team championship rings for winning seven games last year, is number 23. Mississippi State, which was the APR Bowl team last year by getting a bid with a losing records in the top 25. And, and, and Washington, who was in the playoff last year, is all the way down at number 25. So a few things we learned from this. One, you learn that NFL scouts are drafting more SEC players than any other league by far for a reason. But you also, you, you're also learning why some coaches make the kind of money they make. You're learning why Chris Peterson makes the kind of money he makes at Washington. You're learning why Bill Snyder is a Hall of Famer. And, and you're learning why um, some coaches are on the hot seat. You're learning why Kevin Sumlin's on the hot seat. You're learning why uh, Jim Mora Jr. is on the hot seat. Uh, you're, you're learning why um, uh, uh, it, there was another, oh, oh Brian Kelly who's number 13 in roster foundation, you can see why those are big-name coaches who, if they don't have a big year this year, are toast. And you can see that the Big Ten is pretty much what we kind of thought it was. A couple of elite coaches and then a lot of other really, really good teams and a lot of parity. So this exercise, I think, quantifies – John, I don't know what you think, but I think it quantifies for uh, for us a lot of things we've seen on the field the last couple of years. It does, and, and I think that it, I think that it definitely. When I specifically look at the Big Ten, because that that I'm far more familiar with that league than any of these other ones. I don't even pretend to know things that um, to the way that you know them about these other leagues. I have felt that this year's Big Ten football season was going to be. Uh, a couple of uh, top ten teams and a whole bunch of uh, average, with maybe Michigan flashing up in there, and these numbers certainly bear that out. Um, don't just bear that out from a standpoint of the Big Ten teams, you know, numbers four through ten being fairly bunched up on gross totals with this particular um, you know mathematical enterprise that you went through, but just. Thinking of them without the numbers, I mean, this this kind of lines up. I mean, Wisconsin at two sixty one. Again, you say that this is doesn't take scheduling into account. Wisconsin's two sixty one versus Iowa's two fifty three. Iowa has more of a gauntlet this year, where Wisconsin did last year. 
Um, so those definitely are things that when you go through your own power rankings and then you do your own rankings, I, I do think that this, this will be a, a valuable tool for you, but it can't be the only thing as you clearly enunciated from when we began this. But I, I think it was, I think this is a worth, worthwhile enterprise. Right. I, I, I think we, I, again, I, I don't want to harp on them because they're my favorite team, but I am, I don't know what you think. Intellectually, I will be fascinated to see what Michigan can do. Because the level of talent in their latest two classes is demonstrably higher than what is sitting in their junior and senior classes. Demonstrably higher. And, you know, they played a lot of guys last year because, remember, the first six weeks of the year, they beat everybody 50 to nothing, practically. So a lot of young guys played last year. But they're going to play a lot of guys that have huge recruiting profiles that have never been asked to carry a football team before. But we have seen at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, several other, other schools, that doesn't seem to matter. But those are schools that also had an extra year where their coaches have, a, have three years into developing guys as, and having them play as redshirt freshmen and sophomores with an extra full year of competition than what Michigan is going to try to do. And so I will be fascinated to see how they're going to, whether they're going to be able to successfully test this metric or not, because under a traditional college football metric, as we've as we knew the sport most of our lives, on paper Michigan looks like an eight and four, seven and five team. All right, especially when they especially when they got to play at Wisconsin, they got to play um, uh, at Penn State, uh, Florida on a neutral site. That and that's not even counting the you know Ohio State at the end of the year. That looks like an eight and four, seven and five. In the, back in the day, with this many young guys, and 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 you know, next year you're a preseason top ten team when those guys mature, right? That's how we used to see this sport play out. But there is there's a, there's a, there's seven or eight teams that are recruiting at such a superior level to everybody else that those numbers don't mean as much to them as they do to everybody else. Now, the last two years, Michigan has recruited at the level of those teams that are that are at that level. But can they do in two years what all those other teams did in three or four? I'm fascinated, John, to see if they can do it. I don't really know. I, 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 they're going to be one of the toughest teams for me to predict when my preview comes out. Well, we are, what, three? How many, day, how many days away are we from football season? You should probably have this running 94 total. days. Off the cuff. August, August 26th. We don't just have like one game in a foreign country and a bunch of FCS games. There's actually five or six um, major college games that first Saturday, August 26th. Well, that's a lot closer than I thought it was. I didn't realize we were under 100 days. Well, camps are going to start here very soon because remember with the new rules, you can't do two-a-days anymore. So they're going to start a week earlier. So, I mean, training camp's going to be here late July. So we're talking, what's that, 55, 60 days? Oh, my gosh. Training camp's beginning late July. That You're always tricked into thinking football's right around the corner when you go to media day until you get two weeks down and you realize, oh, crap, we still have two more weeks to go and we've already written all the copy we had for media day. <laughs> I remember now, what do we, now what do we do? And you're yep. going to elongate it another week. Wow. 
That also, though, means Big Ten media days will be a week earlier, too. Yeah, and, and it seems like the other conferences have been before the Big Ten as of late. I mean, uh, we were talking like almost mid-July for the SEC in recent yeah. years. So, anyhow, well, you know what? Um, that just entruncates the uh, the off season a little bit more, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, all right, that will do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.